We're going to clap in three, two, one. Google is getting ridiculously good at suppressing sound because I can never hear your claps anymore. I know. It's just me clapping and it's like, <laughs> I, I hope the other two did it. I don't know. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, it's the end of the year, the dredges of the hardware release season. We got the Samsung Galaxy S23 FE, which is out now. It's a uh, mid-range Samsung phone, $600. It, it, we're, we're, we're not sure why it exists, but we'll talk a little bit about it. I've been using the OnePlus Open for the last couple of weeks. I wanna get into why it's an extraordinary piece of hardware that I just can't decide if I really love. The US versus Google trial continues and there have been some really interesting revelations coming out of that. It just shows how massive Google is and how much work they put into keeping things under wraps. Some juicy stories there. And then we got some Pixel 8, Pixel Watch 2 stuff. And uh, if we have time, we're gonna talk a little bit about price hikes because everybody loves talking about how much more they're gonna pay for all of their streaming services. The good old days, Will, are, uh, are over yep. when yeah. it comes to streaming. I think that is something we can all agree on. Anyway, how are you? What's, what's new? I've been gone for the last two weeks. I, I missed you, I missed the podcast. I, I, I appreciate you taking over. I did listen to the, the, the episode with, with Michael Fisher mm-hmm. from two weeks back. Mm-hmm. That or three weeks, I guess now. Uh, Excellent. Really like it. That was one of the first days that I put my SIM in the OnePlus open. And I think it has improved since then significantly. But uh, yeah, I I appreciated getting that foundation. And then last week, Will, you were in beautiful Hawaii. I was in Hawaii. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, we talked to, or I talked to uh, Chris Patrick in an interview that I, I think was pretty good. If you haven't checked it out, I think, uh, we went some interesting philosophical places on AI. I don't know. It's 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 unique to get that kind of viewpoint from someone high up in terms of designing uh, and, and focusing the chipsets that probably power the phone you're listening to this on right now. So I, you know, it's an interesting uh, chat. I will say the OnePlus Open episode with Michael Fisher was was good. It was a good episode. I wish we had recorded what would have been the better episode, which was me and Michael Fisher at Summit talking for like 30 minutes about Lost and how good it is. And I think, Daniel, you would have really appreciated that. No, I wouldn't have. I would have walked away. Gone Genuinely? To, gone another thir- but you 30- should have recorded it and saved it for like Thanksgiving and Black Friday when we are not going to be, we are not going to have the energy to move if we're not working. <laughs> there was there was like a 30 minute there's um are you in agreement like you both think absolutely Lost was an underrated classic? <laughs> yeah no no and 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 i know michael fisher is listening to this right now so i want to say thank you for for sharing your lost your correct lost opinions uh uh what a good tv show <laughs> this show has one patron and it's michael fisher <laughs> who pays us nothing but um nonetheless we are his singular performer we 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 create the show yeah we sing uh, and dance for him for him and and exclusively for him i will say that the photos and videos i saw coming out of the summit looked great the announcements were really interesting this year i think the orion you know it's i think it's called the elite x1 Uh, snapdragon x elite x elite sorry yeah elite x1 
the more computing focused chip that's coming out in mid 2024 coupled with the Qualcomm with the Snapdragon 8 Gen 3 which yeah. seems like a pretty significant year over year upgrade especially in the GPU there is Snapdragon Seamless which you wrote about I did and uh, I think Android as you said in your piece has been waiting a long time for something like this even though Google is attempting to do that on its own but it hasn't really worked particularly well yeah and then there's the s7 pro which introduces wi-fi yeah to the ever awful bluetooth connectivity issues that that we experience with bluetooth earbuds so overall like it was a pretty big show from qualcomm what was your take on like the biggest announcements there you know and you you did talk to chris but obviously like yeah you can talk about everything so let's just close that chapter before we move into other things yeah i mean we are not a computing show or website i can tell you rich at xda is is so excited about x elite every time i saw him throughout the week he was just amped he was like I, I'm, I'm waiting for benchmarks man i gotta go to that benchmark session on thursday and um i'm not in the market for a laptop because i bought one this year but i am intrigued to see how that performs when it hits actual hardware next year just from a you know fan of technology um to your credit i said this with chris last week but the um i think it was with chris s7 what was s7 pro i'm gonna mess now i'm gonna s7 mess up and that. s7 pro yeah so that the addition to use wi-fi and, and bluetooth headphones is one of those things that is like such a non-brainer solution that like you you it's like surprising it hasn't been done before you know like it's i would like that i would like to just not my house is not that big i can get to most parts of it while leaving my phone in a central location and not have to worry about sound cutting out but like there are fringe areas of it where if i'm cleaning or something you know it will drop out uh if i don't have it in my pocket which i usually don't if i'm cleaning and like the ability to just be like no you're just it'll just switch to wi-fi if it has to like that's great and then yeah i you know the the big focus for gen 3 is is the promise of of gen ai i guess kind of trying to catch what google's been doing with the pixel i would point everyone as, as weird as it is to be like go read this verge article this up-and-coming site but allison johnson's piece uh that i believe went up yesterday as we record this about the promise of ai and and versus the reality of it uh i really really liked i'm i'm mad that i didn't write it so um that's how you know it's a good piece when you're mad you didn't write it because it, it is so difficult to be at these things any chip announcement and see tech demos that at the same time like it's just proving that this can be done like these these are not apps that are going to you know like the s24 ultra is not going to come with qualcomm's gen ai like image generator app on it that generates an image in like under a second like that is up to oems and other developers to build on top of that and and whether or not it happens or how it happens is you know always up in the air did they say which large ai models these on-device demos were using because i assume they weren't qualcomm's own models yeah but if you ask me to pull this off the top of my head i'm gonna i'm gonna flounder um it's uh uh it, just to be i mean it's it's fine like it doesn't yeah. matter but it's that th the question of like these chips have increasingly powerful neural engines and are able to do more with on-device ai and 9to5 Google, I mean, we're talking about competitors. Let's just throw out another great piece yeah. that 
Ben Shun wrote at 9to5Google about like, if Qualcomm can do all of this on device without owning the entire stack, why does Google need to make a Tensor chip? I, I, where- he, ben sent me that piece before he published it, and he was like, I assume you're writing the same thing. And I was like, I'm not. And I'm, again, I'm mad I'm not writing it. That's a great take. Um, yeah, I don't, go read that I, piece. I don't agree with it. I, I think, no, I like his take. I, I think that's a, that's a smart way to put it. Um, it's true. No, no, I, I, I think it's a strong argument, but I disagree yeah. with the premise okay. that Google should stop making Tensor because Qualcomm can do this stuff and also is a much more efficient, powerful yeah. SOC because that is discounting a lot of the overall marketing strategy that Google is using with Tensor and the fact that, you know, he kind of glosses over it at the end of the article, but like the fact that we can get seven years of OS updates is because Google owns the whole stack. And that that's is, true. It, yeah. mm-hmm. is an additional level of importance there. But the basic premise here is that Qualcomm showed off a bunch of demos that undermine a lot of what Google is talking about when it comes to Tensor. And it reinforces Qualcomm's leadership in this space. It means that there is very little chance that we are going to see, say, a MediaTek supplant Google or uh, Qualcomm in the flagship SOC space anytime soon. Qualcomm is essentially a monopoly yep. in the US. Yeah. And going to an event like this just shows that it's even the like it's it's the it's the Google argument all over again, right? Google is a monopoly, but that doesn't mean it makes bad products that people don't want to use, right? Qualcomm makes really good products, but it has such an entrenched leadership position in the industry that it can basically do whatever it wants. Yeah. And that has shown, I mean, the fact that the elite uh Sorry, I'm going to get this name wrong over and over again. Exolite. The Elite X. Exolite. Are you sure? I sat in a room where they said it like 80 times. I think so. I, okay. I, now, now I, you've got me questioning. Now I need to I'm point right. out an incorrect headline on XDA. So regardless. Exolite. Snapdragon Exolite. Yes. Yes. The fact that this <laughs> has derived from the acquisition of Nuvia, many of the people at Nuvia, worked on the original M-series SOC at Apple. These are very advanced chips that are now bearing fruit on all the other chip design within Qualcomm, right? This is a controversial acquisition. Qualcomm was sued many times around this acquisition for basically stealing trade secrets and copyright infringement. That Those lawsuits are still in... The courts and have not been resolved. But the TLDR here is that next year, when this Exelite chip is released, Microsoft will have another vector for which to show off Windows 11 on low power PCs. Intel and Apple will have much more competition. And Apple, in particular, which it, you know, it announced the M3 chips this week, will have the first meaningful competitor to its. ARM-based computer SOCs since they were announced in 2020. And that's a big deal, right? So all of this is happening while Qualcomm is also trying to remind us that it makes the leading smartphone SOC, and it's coming out two weeks before MediaTek announced its next flagship 
the Dimensity 9300, which we can't talk about yet, but suffice to say, it will also have a lot of interesting things. We will have a lot of interesting things to talk about around that chip. So it's weird to say this, but it's a really exciting time to be a fan of semiconductors. <laughs> and I don't know if that's something a lot of people can share with me, but I'm, I'm, I'm hyped about it. Well, and like Apple basically held a primetime event like this week to essentially announce, I guess, laptop hardware, but like really to announce new chips. So like, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, were there any other noticeable differences in those laptops outside of the processor? Uh, yeah, really. I mean, they killed the touch bar. Um, yeah, no, I meant like a, meaningful changes. Uh, they've got a black model. <sighs> this was uh, the most infomercial that Apple has ever made an infomercial. Like the, I didn't the watch charts. It. I'm going to be honest the, with you guys. I didn't. Oh, I, did not I was up this one. <laughs> I was like, my wife was on a Zoom call on the couch yeah. for work, and I was just like, I had my OnePlus open open. In this was like, I mean, I want to talk about the S23 FE, but I'll talk about this for a second. The open allows you to have two apps open side by side, obviously, with the third hovering in the middle. I had the Apple event in Chrome on the left side. I had Telegram open on the right side, talking to everybody about the event in real time. And then I had Slack open at, in a window so that I could keep track of everything happening on XDA around the event. It, like, it was like, I was like super multitasking while I was watching this thing and I felt, I felt like a boss. It was awesome. Oh, okay. I'm surprised okay. you had the video be the thing on the left side instead of having the video be the thing that floats while you bob and weave between the two. Oh my God, Ara. You're <laughs> absolutely right. I should have thought of that. But, uh, but like you don't need to watch the video part of an Apple announcement really, no matter how much they want to talk about how it was shot on an iPhone. Like this is true. Really cares. And then the way it works on a OnePlus Open is that like you're not really losing. You're like on a, on a Z Fold 5, you're, you know, if you put the video on the left side of the screen, now 80% of the left side of your screen is black. Wasted. Yeah. That's true. With, with the fine. open. I'm and this wrong. Was... I should have had it floating. You're right. I just want to point out. Well, but with the open, so you can swipe back and forth, right? Like, that's the nice part of how they do it. I mean, that's one of the benefits of the, of the open, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it was John Turnus, who is the SVP of hardware at Apple, who introduced the laptops after Johnny Sruji introduced the new chips. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he said, but wait, there's more at one point okay. like, or that's not all and i'm like this is an actual infomercial like, it's an this infomercial could be on qvc yeah. at one in the morning and it would not be like the tone would basically be the same it would just be much higher production value and that's fine because like apple did this it competed with monday night football okay to launch i'm three new I chips mean, no if, i'm if tired of this do narrative. anything on devil's night doing an infomercial is pretty scary I'm, no no I'm okay tired. T tell me tell me will tell me why i'm wrong because no they didn't no no one who was going to watch monday night football was like i gotta tune into that fucking apple event like i and by the way i found out we have an explicit like tag this. so don't censor that Jules. I, I completely disagree with you no, i'm sure that there were ridiculous. people that were like ignoring it 100% and didn't care but i'm sure there is a lot of crossover with people that care about an apple event no there's and i know there's not because i'm in our slack and there's like three people i can talk to football about with that's okay but it's like not regular people like football and apple products too no, but like like 
If it was an iPhone event, I would, I would. Yeah, no, it's that it's the laptop. Yeah, no one, no one cares. Are so expensive. Yeah, this is. I don't. I I don't like this narrative that's been floating around the 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 blogosphere of of Apple going head to head with Monday Night Football. Like, go check Monday Night Football's ratings. Did they take a hit? That's what I want to know. Because I I I didn't look, but I bet they didn't. I bet they. I don't didn't. think that's. I I think. When was the last time you did just one? Like you watched one thing, right? You had your TV on without having your phone in your lap, opening Instagram, scrolling through Reddit, whatever, right? This live stream was at like was seven o'clock at pe- night, right? This was at eight o'clock. Was at eight I mean, o'clock. people were- Eight to 8.30 because it was a 30 minute event. And yeah, <laughs> this is a moot point. It would have been, you can watch the game on mute for the first quarter. Like nothing that's, really important is going to happen. That's, that's not what I'm not saying. True. I, I'm, I'm sure you're right, Will. I'm sure that not a lot of people- decided to watch the Apple event instead of the first quarter of a football game. Um, And if you did, I would love to hear from you. But it's more (laughs) about the fact that they had the audacity to launch a set of laptops and chips at 8 p.m. on a Monday. Oh, sorry. We're also forgetting that the World Series was on, which is my fault because I'm not a baseball fan. You just reinforced what I'm saying, though, is that Apple is the only company that would do this. Right, it's the only company that thinks it has the power to launch these products at 8 p.m. on a Monday. I think they were like, it doesn't matter because no one cares I that think much. People about are talking the more about when they held the event than about the actual content yeah, of the I, event, I, I, and that's exactly what Apple wanted because this is a this is a, a press release. Out- this should yeah, have been a is- press release. I'm like, I, it was not an exciting event, even from a computing perspective. I don't like the thing that I'm most caught up on that isn't when they aired the event is the amount of people who are going to somehow justify Apple selling a $1,600 laptop with eight gigabytes of RAM. That is, that is, those are the two things that I am caught up on right now. And, um, neither are good. So I don't know. I, if they do this for the iPhone in 2024, it is a different conversation, but right now I think it was a way to draw attention to an event that otherwise would have been like the biggest yawn. I don't know. That's exactly right. But you're you're feeding the flame by saying exactly what you're saying. You know, Apple made a big splash, whether or not it had the same impact culturally as an iPhone event, which obviously it didn't. The fact that anybody would tune into an event on a monday night to hear about socs and laptops shows that this was exactly the marketing strategy that apple if if nobody would have cared it would have been on msnbc at 11 a.m or 1 p.m when its normal events are held did people watch it though outside of tech people of course outside of tech people okay i i we don't know those viewing numbers is my point like you don't like it is the same thing as apple has cultural cachet that other companies don't. I'm not defending the decision, but I'm saying objectively, and I don't know how you can dispute this, that Apple has the ability to launch boring products at 8 p.m. on October 30th. I'm not arguing with that. I'm just saying that like the idea that it it is that Apple was trying to go head to head and get people to turn off. I mean, I mean, like again, if they had if they had made a deal with CBS to broadcast this on actual television, like it's the same thing of like 
if if I started arguing that like E3 used to draw people away from traditional broadcasting because like Sony's press conference was at 8 p.m. Like, I guess, but also like a very specific audience that would have watched it whether it was at 1 p.m. or 8 p.m. Hey, this is editor Jules doing his groceries and making a note. So one and a half million people tuned in to view the Apple event on October 30th, shortly around after event ended. The World Series game that night had approximately 8 million viewers and Monday Night Football had 15 million for the highlight game, which started at 8.15. So there you go. Okay. You could be right. I disagree with you, but that's okay. That's what it, that's that's what I just, opinions I, are for. I just find this like like it's not you. It's like the entire tech bloggers were mad that they had to work late on a Monday. No, I don't even think it's that. I think it was just like people trying to read into this more than it was. I think I I don't know why they decided to do this at eight p.m. Other than the fact that I think it was an easy way to, as we said, get people talking about an event that if they had announced it for one p.m. would not have had as much attention. Agreed. That's it. That's all we need to say. I think we could probably even cut this section because it's not good radio, but I'm sure Jules will make the diamond out of coal here. I heard he put sound effects in. This is how you know I don't listen to the finished episode. <laughs> oh, you stink! Let's move on and talk about the S23 FE. Finally. Finally, I can talk. Um, yeah, the S23 FE went on sale last Thursday. And my review, I swear it will be up by the time you are listening to this podcast because I've been trying to get it out the door all week. But, Vader, you made the joke of we don't know why this phone exists. And I technically know why, but I also think that, yeah, this is a phone that's just going to get... It's an okay phone that's going to get lost in the shuffle, especially because the camera just isn't great. Like, granted, for Samsung, things tend to be hit or miss with the cameras, but it's much more miss with this phone, especially once you get into using any kind of zoom. So let's go over the basics. This is a 6.4 inch screen. So this completes the little stepladder of the S23 series of 6.1 for the S23, 6.4 for the FE, 6.6 for the Plus, and then 6.8 for the Ultra. This phone starts at $600, which puts it $200 cheaper than the S23. I would kind of argue that this phone is meant to be a cheaper version of the S23 Plus rather than the regular S23, since it has the larger screen. But at the same time, I mean, the hardware is fine. The only thing you'll really notice about the design is instead of the frame being shiny and the backplate being matte, it's it has a shiny backplate and the frame is a, a more brushed and matte look to it, which made this... Very, very difficult to take my review photos of. Gave me flashbacks to the Note 10 Ultra. Ask me questions about this phone, please, because I've been using it like all day, every day for the last 10 days, and I still struggle to figure out what this is here for other than Samsung is desperately chasing the lightning in a bottle that it had with the Galaxy S20 FE, and Samsung wanted something to fill that little slot between the $450 A54 and the $800, well, and the $700 S22 and the $800 S23. Wait, do they still officially sell the S22? I'm pretty sure, because whenever they announced the S23, they said the S22 was sticking around at $700. Oh, wow, that's stupid. They really should, if yeah. they're going <laughs> to... It's really dumb. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you that it's this is a confusing phone. It, it's less confusing... 
Well, okay. It, it's actually maybe more confusing than the S21 FE was, but that's because the S21 FE was easy to sum up as like, this was a mistake. You shouldn't have done this. Like Too little, like, too you, late. Because by the time the pandemic yeah. had slowed things down that much, it's... But if you're releasing that phone a month before your actual flagships, then you shouldn't be doing it at all. I assume this really exists for carriers. This is one of those where it's like the carriers it's would free like free with trade-in or AT and T yeah. currently has it as ten bucks a month, no trade-in exactly. required. Exactly. So that six hundred dollar or six hundred and thirty dollar, if you go to Samsung's website, which is but a at whole... the same time, yeah, S twenty three is free with trade-in on. AT&T, and I think it's either 600 or 400 off at Verizon. Uh, I think Verizon might still have it as free with trade-in now since we're getting back into holiday sales. And the other two Galaxies is like trade-in basically any phone, and you can get the phone for either free or like $200. So even among the carriers, I'm not sure why this phone exists other than to piss me off with the camera. Well, uh, this one will be on, I mean, so so obviously we don't know what they'll do with the S23 series and uh, roughly two to three months when there's a new one, you know, if they keep it around or if they they just like retire it. But like, I assume that the the promise would be, well, this this will last you through 2024 as a way to maybe talk people up from an A54 when you're in a carrier store. But again, it is messy in a way that it's it's like you know when you talk about budget flagships, you talk about what level of compromise are you willing to expect or uh, uh, to to accept and uh this one i think it's too much compromise compared to the competition around this price point yeah and i mean it's like if you're looking at the phone in a vacuum the phone is okay just okay it'll last you a full day it has a nice screen it performs well it, it does heat up every now and again because it's a snapdragon 8 gen 1 but the moment that you look at this phone in the context of all of the other phones around this, like I would recommend the $500 Pixel 7a over this phone any day of the week. Right, exactly. Especially, and, and even over the uh, Google Pixel 8, which will probably be $600 or less on Black Friday. Probably not less. Uh, 600 feels right for that phone. I'd be surprised if it drops $150 right away. It will drop $150, but not Let me dream, please. I, you can dream, but I would I would bet that phone is 600 for Black Friday would be my guess. I don't I don't I think it's too big of a a drop. Anyway, that's sales speculation. Yeah. Um But the Galaxy S23 is going to be 6 is probably going to be 650 or 600 for Black Friday as well. Right. Which is the issue of like why did this phone not launch in the summer? Like it, it yeah. it's the the timing of the FE series has always been a head scratcher, I would say. Like Except for the first one. Except for the first one. The only other thing is like, do they have a stack of Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 chips they have to get rid of? And like the answer is probably. So it can be kind of both. But yeah, it's it's weird because it's not necessarily a bad phone, but it's also like incredibly difficult to recommend because no matter where you turn it is easy to be like well actually you should go that way you should do that one or that one or that one you can spend more and get a better experience or you can spend less and get you know not that much worse of an experience and it's difficult i mean i'd almost argue the a54 is a better phone yeah. than the uh galaxy s23 fe for yeah. i think the cameras were a little bit better on the a54 which is shocking really? to say, given the price yeah. difference uh, and the uh, A54 has a micro SD slot and the S23 FE doesn't. Looking through your samples, I thought the low light on the 
S23 FE was like not worth a, it was not at a $600 level, Phone I level. would say. Yeah. Yeah. It looked like what you would expect from the A54, which is not good. Like it was like way over sharpened and, and, and I don't know. Yeah. The, the daylight photos were fine, but when you have the Pixel 7a $500 below you, like it is tricky to try to push. I mean, the only other thing is, you know, we talk about something like Qualcomm's Snapdragon seamless stuff and some people are built into that ecosystem already of Samsung's ecosystem. They don't want to switch to Google or OnePlus or Motorola. They want to stick with Samsung. And so this is the phone at that price range, whether or not it's it's actually worse than other options. Okay, I have a theory. Yeah. It's a lukewarm take, but this is how I think Samsung is positioning this device. They don't expect anybody to really buy it on right. its own. Right. Yeah. This is a phone that will be bundled with earbuds. If you go to a carrier, you're getting mm. the earbuds. Yeah. You go to Samsung.com, you get a massive discount if you bundle the earbuds and the Tab S9 FE. Right. This is a phone meant to be the gateway into Samsung's ecosystem. Right. And if that is the purpose, this is the perfect phone for that. It is nondescript. It is good at everything, but not great at anything. And it's relatively inexpensive if you're getting it either in a bundle or on a contract at a carrier, right? Yeah, I mean, th that's exactly what I mean, which is like, you can't get too hung up on the $600 price just because most people will buy this, you know, like Ara said, like AT&T has it for like $10 a month or whatever. Like, it's not a real, that $600 number is not real. Like, unless you're a sicko who buys their phones unlocked, like like me. <laughs> But it also just speaks to the fact that Samsung's smartphone lineup right now is the most uninteresting it has been oh, yeah. in a decade, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's despite the excess of great devices, even the foldables feel stayed at the moment. And the competition is is increasing across the board. And I think Samsung has to do something more interesting in order to make its Galaxy lineup appeal to more people. But right now it is trucking along with like, you have a price point at every hundred dollars. That's been how the company has made money for 10 years. If you don't want an Apple device, you get a Samsung. That's the default alternative. Like That's it. They're not going to. I mean, the, the rumor with the S24 is the design of those phones is basically unchanged minus the Ultra finally has a flat screen, you know, RIP um, curved panels. But the current rumor about that is like, oh, yeah, Samsung is going to go big on Gen AI. I know we led this episode talking about the Gen 3 and, and a lot of that is focused on AI. But at the same time, I don't think that's going to get a lot of people excited to go buy a phone that looks a lot like the phone they already have. And and on the foldable side, we kind of touched on the open Daniel because you've been using it. But like, if I want a foldable experience right now, which I kind of do, I've been, I've been the, you know, the phone I used the most at Snapdragon summit was the one plus open. I would choose that phone. Like I, I like that, that form factor so much more than the Z fold five. Like I, to be honest, don't really ever want to go back to the Z fold five. Like it's, I don't like that outer screen. I think the multitasking is not nearly as good as what OnePlus cooked up, which is a wild thing to say, but is true. The cameras on Samsung's phone are better. If anything, I still like shooting more of the open. They have to 
not sit on their or what is it rest on their laurels right is that the saying um anyway whatever yeah they have to like get an emotion here like we have watched them just like sit by on all fronts you know like their tablets are identical to each other their phones are i mean especially now they've unified their design language and like the a14 looks basically like a cheaper version of the s23 right like that's fine you know it makes it somewhat recognizable even to like non-tech people but at the same time it's hard to if you're worried about flagging smartphone sales like it's it's tough to not you, you have to do something to get people excited with a i mean look at apple right like apple's whole ad campaign for the iphone 15 pro which is pretty similar to last year's phone and the, like by most metrics is it's titanium now and people are interested in that because crucial to the entire ad campaign whether it's an apple advertisement or an at&t advertisement right everything is like the new iphone 15 with or pro with titanium like even just something like that is enough to get people to go like wait does that like change my like smartphone experience should i spend twelve hundred dollars on a new phone this year because like it's titanium that's that's new right and 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 i don't know like i i think Samsung is just chilling out being like ah no one else is doing foldables right like we're good and then ah shit someone's someone else two other people did foldables three other people did foldables I don't know yeah I this this is a much longer conversation but I think the direction that Android market share is going in the US is largely a testament to Samsung's if not ambivalence and sort of lack of ambition in its smartphone lineup. And I think that hit critical mass in 2023. Yeah, I agree. Right? Regardless, I mean, leave aside Apple's design progress or lack thereof, right? This is, you know, you can impugn Samsung on its own merits. We saw it in our own traffic this year. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, we did. Interest in all of Samsung's products from the S23 line in January through the foldables in August through the FE line in, in October has been like the drop year over year, 70%, 80%, yeah. right? Whereas Google interest in, in the Pixel 8 series year over year, way up. Interest in the OnePlus Open, way up compared to the Samsung foldables, right? Like people are looking for novelty in the Android space and they are not finding it in Samsung. And is that a problem for Samsung's bottom line? I think it will be eventually, right? So that's a choice, I guess. It's a choice the company's made, but something's going to give because they're losing market share to Apple and to Google and to, I mean, probably not OnePlus, but they were certain they lost, mar- they lost mindshare to, to OnePlus over the last few months. Every single influencer, every single reviewer is now recommending the OnePlus open over the flip or the fold, right? I was genuinely like, I know, you know, uh, Fisher and I were both pretty hot on the phone. You can literally go listen to us, like talk through our thoughts on it. Like basically before most of my review was even written, but like, I was surprised that everyone kind of came out of the open being like, even with the rushed software, this is pretty good. (laughs) Like, it's just like a, it's a, it's a, Critical approval that I don't think OnePlus has seen that or that we've seen for a OnePlus device in a long time. Yeah, no, for sure. 
Um, I do want to, since I just noticed this in our Slack channel, I do want to draw everyone's attention to the the single S23 FE <laughs> that uh, review that Daniel shared with us. There's one review on Samsung's website uh, of the S23 FE. And Aura, to be honest, you can just delete your draft because this is all we need. Five stars. <laughs> I love my S23 FE. This is a great phone loaded with a lot of useful features at a very good price. I look forward to all the memories I can capture with this phone. And to be honest... What else do you need to know? Like that's that's that everything. A totally accurate or totally uh, honest and truthful <laughs> review written by a real person. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Just like those tweets that HBO sent to reviewers. I, that's, mm-hmm. Did you guys see that story? That was crazy. Yeah, wild. Anyway, all right. So, what are your what are your final thoughts on this phone? It's an okay phone, but I don't know who's gonna buy it. I don't know who should buy it. Because, yeah. yeah, it's just so hard to recommend to anybody, but I'm going to keep using this phone for another couple of weeks before Samsung asks for it back. And I'm hoping that something might improve in that time, but I'm kind of doubting it because so long as the cameras don't work for me when I go take pictures at the parks, I, I don't know what else I'm going to really be able to do with this phone other than just read tons and tons of web comics and play Stardew Valley on. I need my, the phone and my camera to work. And I need it to work consistently. It's why I'm still hoping for a Pixel 8 at some point. <laughs> what color do you have for the S23? Uh, I have the... You have the purple? Oh, for the... I have the purple. Which okay. also, uh, I will say, the purple looks better in the renders than it does in person. The yeah, A54 got a much better purple. Yeah, I just... Yeah, I, I, I haven't... I mean, I haven't used it outside of, of the content capture um, Samsung did about a little over a month ago now but um you know i walked away kind of kind of just being like yeah it's a phone like if you if you needed a phone and you could get a good deal on it like i, I don't think you'd be mad a- about it but when you take a critical eye to it, it it's impossible to walk away feeling anything more than like a shrug yeah yeah nothing more to say that about that but still please read my review once it is up <laughs> yeah yeah do that <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about the OnePlus Open uh, okay. before we move on. So I started out with, like, I, I got it later than most people, but there was a day one patch that I think everybody was waiting on. I got it a couple of days after I got the phone. So that's when I put my SIM card in it. There was a release day patch on the, on the 26th that fixed more things, but... I didn't have the really like entrenched bugs that a lot of people had. I just had like weird issues with apps taking a long time to load or yeah. not performing properly. Like every once in a while, my Kindle app will just disappear the text on the right side of the screen and then I have to force quit and reopen it and it'll be okay. Google news notifications were just cut off randomly and they that fixed itself over the last few days. So most of the major issues have been resolved that I've seen. And in general, I found the form factor to be really usable. I use this the front display most of the time, and it feels like a good size small phone. I do have some typing issues, but not as many as I anticipated. And it's certainly better than typing on a fold. I use the inside screen primarily for multitasking or reading. So I don't open it as often as I thought I would, and that has really changed how I use the foldable, right? I I hated typing on the, the fold because I either had this tiny candy bar skinny keyboard on the front or Google's not super reliable split keyboard when it was open. 
and neither felt like 100% reliable. So I just hated typing on those things. I think we're at a better place now with Gboard. The autocorrect is more reliable with a split keyboard. So I feel good about typing on it either way. And yeah, in general, I just don't feel like the fold, like the inside is an impediment in any way to being productive, but also like the outside display, the fact that you can exchange apps between the two relatively easily, that all works really well. And now that I've been sort of using it without thinking about it being a foldable, it just fits into my life, except for when I go to sleep and I have to plug it in. That is the only issue that I really, I mean, everybody's beaten this point to a pulp, so I don't have to reiterate it, but the fact that there's no wireless charging here is annoying. And the camera, as good as it is, or as good as it can be, does not do motion well. So when I'm taking a photo of my kids running down the hall inside, there is an action mode, but you have to explicitly check it. And even then, like the shutter speed is, is not fast enough. But yeah, other than that, like it's been a really good experience. I've tried it with the case. I removed the case because the little stickies on it weren't strong enough. And they the were not. No, I agree. Around. They're not in the in the side. The left side piece is so flimsy that I feel yeah. like it's going to break just for me sliding it in my pocket. Like it's going to exactly. get caught on on like a button or something and just like like snap and have what what color do you have? I have the green one. You have the green one. OK. Did you get the black one? No, I have the green one. I didn't really hold the black one until Summit last week. And I was like, yeah, like I'm I'm just not like a full leather person. And then I noticed that the frame on the black one is matte. It's not glossy like it is on the green one. And I was like, oh, no, no, I kind of want I wish I had the black one because like that's my biggest gripe about like the design is how like grimy the like shiny metal rails get around this phone and like not a problem on the black one. So I'm a little. A little jealous. Um, it's lighter too, but that doesn't really. Um, it's six grams lighter. It doesn't. It doesn't make a huge impact. So, yeah, I. I mean, at seventeen hundred dollars or fifteen hundred, whatever you end up paying for this, it's still pricey. But yeah. from my perspective, it is the best foldable you can buy. Yep, bar none. And, you know, it's an Oppo, so it's not like yeah. OnePlus made this on its own. But did you expect to say that? No, and I really didn't, yeah. especially coming from, like, I tried the Find N and the Find N2. Yeah. They obviously weren't optimized for the West, so they were running Chinese ROMs. I couldn't use it as a daily, but I knew the potential was there. But the hardware on this is so much better than either of those phones. And the fact that OnePlus has made some, or I guess OnePlus and Oppo have made meaningful improvements to the multitasking workflow, it's, it's just hit the sweet spot. That's it, right? Like from my perspective, there are no other options. Like the fold sucks. The inside display on the and the Pixel Fold is bad. It's the Pixel Fold's inside display is bad compared to the Z Fold Five and is atrocious compared to the OnePlus Open. It's like yeah, the screens on unusable. this are amazing. That anti glare finish makes such a big difference in like daily use on on the yeah. on the Open. It's so nice. It's wild to me. So. You're making me jealous. It's Ara, It's a really nice phone. Yeah. I'm like, sure it, it is, but there's no cases for it, so there's no know, reason there, for me there, to try and get one. <laughs> there really isn't. It's. I looked like this week. I was like, 
I was looking at Pixel 8 cases and I was like, you know, I should just see if there's an if there's like any open options yet. And it's like they're all candy shells. There's yeah, nothing. There's, there's nothing. no case here that is actually like a proper protective case. No. Just something to cover no. up the back plate and maybe and add a little grip. Kind of wrap around the front so that it's symmetrical. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah. And it's not really a phone, like I said, like it's it doesn't have that like side bezel that the Pixel Fold does on the left side that like makes it a little easier to put a case on it. Like it's really mm-hmm. not built for cases, which I don't think is going to help OnePlus, which already struggles with accessories as it is. Yeah. Yeah. I will say for the OnePlus open especially for foldables, those are the kind of accessories that I'm like, I really wish we still had like just those. It wouldn't be called a case, but it was just the bumper that went around the edges of the phone. Like, I feel like foldables would be a good use for that. Mm. Yeah. Except for the fact that they would keep the screen from completely closing. One bonus on this that I hadn't read in any of the reviews is that the biometric, the facial biometrics are equivalent to the Pixel 8, where you can get into your password manager and you can yes. Um, Did I not mention so that? I, I haven't tried it no. with uh, Google Wallet, but it matches the or it meets the threshold for getting into your password manager. Yep. So from my perspective, the fact that I can use the face unlock to get into one password is just like a massive bonus that I I really love. I just want to say I mentioned it in my review. That's how you know Daniel didn't read my review. Oh, you're right. I didn't. <laughs> it's true. But uh, good to know. Yeah. The thing you got to know is that my reviews, most comprehensive on the internet, and that's why they're 4,500 words long. (laughs) That's why you kill yourself every time you write one. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the US versus Google trial that is going on now. Just a a few like bits of news coming out of this. One is that in 2018, Sundar Pichai suggested to Tim Cook that Apple should pre-install the Google search app on its iPhones which is amazing. And I think he had the audacity to say that because Google spends, now we know, $21 billion to make Google the default search engine on the iPhone every year, which is just an obscene amount of money. And I love that this is now out in the open because it's clear that Apple has thought ill of Google since time immemorial the strained relationship back in the early 2010s or like late 2000s, early 2010s between Steve Jobs and Eric Schmidt, like that disappeared once Tim Cook took over. And we now have the documents to prove it. Apple created an internal presentation calling Android a quote, massive tracking device all the way back in 2013. It reused a lot of those same points when it created an ad campaign called privacy is iPhone, and really just went at Microsoft and Google about all of the tracking that their products do, and Facebook, or now Meta. So Apple knew that it was going to nail Google and other kind of ad-based competitors as early as 2013, but uh, really leaned into it later in the decade. And all of this just comes to show that like Apple thinks of Google as a necessary evil, right? In the trial itself, Apple's executives testified that Google is the best search engine. Like to not include Google would be to make the iPhone a worse product. And yet, you know, Google is still spending $22 billion a year for that privilege. It's crazy to me that this meeting happened in late 2018. This feels like something 
like when you read it you're if you skip the first section you just read what happened in the meeting you'd be like when was this like 2011 2012 when were they talking about this and it's like no this was like five years ago but apple was like hey we want to be partners and google was like what if you put the app on every iphone and they were like no not that kind of partner but like it's (laughs) wild to me that this only happened five years ago like this is not that pixel sales are anything to write home about today let alone then (laughs) but like this is pixel what three right and this is right after the pic like like this isn't like ancient history it's just kind of wild i don't know yeah google is in this weird position where it it has to defend its business practices by saying that like we are spending 26 billion dollars here we are putting our investment into the iphone apple is choosing to take this money from us it is a business decision Apple is finding value, extremely high value in Google search engine. But like Apple could choose to take $28 billion from Microsoft if it wanted to. Microsoft would probably spend it. Bing was the default search engine for a while on the iPhone. But, you know, this is Google on trial, not Apple. And Google is saying like, we're a business. We have to spend money to put our product in places that may not otherwise have it by default. And I'm sure that the Google app on the iPhone is one of the most used apps out there, right? Like I use it every day. If I'm on an iPhone, I use it every day. So it's just really interesting. And now we know that like Google has a revenue share model with its OEM partners and has been basically bribing those partners to keep their devices updated for longer. By saying that we're going to pull the revenue or lower the revenue share if you don't keep your devices updated. Like Google has levers that it pulls here. And it's the DOJ deciding like, <laughs> is it too much? Is it illegal? Out of curiosity, I, I pulled up the App Store top charts just to see. Uh, the Google app is fourth on the US free apps charts for Apple. Uh, it is only behind ChatGPT, Laps, Disposable Camera. And Timu, uh, congratulations to Timu in the first spot. Uh, but it's it's ahead of TikTok, Instagram, Gmail, YouTube, WhatsApp, Google Maps, Facebook, Telegram, Snapchat, Spotify. Like it is ahead of some like real giant apps, and like it's just you know people being like, well, I gotta have Google on my iPhone. Like I can't not download this app, right? And I don't know. Yeah, like to your point, Daniel. Like I think a lot of people use it regularly. It's it's probably basically they're they're like like open more than their browser because it i think it has a built-in browser i'd have to use it it absolutely has a built-in browser yeah so like it's probably for a lot of people just like they're not even using safari or chrome i mean they're kind of using both because it's ios and but you know what i mean like they're just looking at stuff in the google app on their phone i mean what it speaks to the fact that a lot of people probably don't know that if you go into safari and just type in a search query it sends you to google or that if you swipe down on the home screen and you go to spotlight and you type in a query and Siri can't answer it, it will send you to a Google search. That's how I search on iOS because I'm a maniac. (laughs) You like the chaotic evil version of searching. It's the closest to like how a pixel functions in terms of like the Mm -hmm. the search bar being like on the screen at all times is, is being able to go to spotlight and then just tap the like search web button after you type whatever you want to type in. That is how I've found the easiest way to do it. But like, 
I, I am aware that I am probably not how most, that's not how most people are probably doing it. I mean, it's also interesting, like this, there's this uh, heavily redacted presentation that has come into discovery uh, from Apple, as I said, back, uh, it was created in 2013, talking about how its competitors really don't treat their users' privacy seriously. And one of the things that it says about Google is that the fact that Google allows a single account to access all of its services, like Gmail and Search and Calendar and Maps, is a massive privacy violation because it combines that data and makes a very granular profile of all of its users. And Apple does not do that. It says it combines the data across services only when it provides a better customer experience and it supports separate accounts for iCloud, App Store, and at the time, the iTunes Store, um, and then Siri, Maps, and iAd, which is, was, uh, was the company's oh, ad Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Back then. They don't use Apple ID. Now, obviously, things have changed, and Apple has unified iCloud yep. and made it much more integral to the usability of its products, but it's still, like, it's really not in the same sphere as Google. And I think it's still to Apple's disadvantage, right? That like the fact that Siri and iOS 17 does a lot more on-device processing and stuff, but Siri is still dumb as shit and can't do most things that Google Assistant can do. And that we're only getting reporting now that like 2024, 2025 is when Apple is gonna integrate some sort of machine learning model into Siri and make it smarter. Whereas Google has already launched generative AI, it's already launched generative search, it's already got Bard, it's already got all of these things. Even though it's not a good, as good a product as ChatGPT, I think most users would say the fact that you just need one Google account to access everything is an advantage and that they are happy that you don't have to sign in separately with separate accounts for all of its services. Yeah, I think that's an obvious it, it, it strikes me as a corporate way to look at it of like, well, of course we are giving our users a benefit by making their lives a little harder because they'll appreciate the account security that gives them by being able to have separate accounts. And it's like, no, they won't. Like, if you give people the login with Google button, they will hit that 100% of the time or like 99% of the time. The only instance where I would ever hit login with email instead of login with Google would be if it's something that is like intensely like finance related. Sure. But like at, at that point, you know, like if I sign up for a bank and they have login with Google, I'm like, I'm going to a different bank. But, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, like some like more premium shopping. Oh, no, no. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. But it, it is, you know, that single login stuff. I mean, that's just practically standard at this point and it is funny i mean to that's see. half the reason i still have facebook is just to keep the log uh the facebook login for certain websites i, I fucking i made my spotify account 10 years ago with facebook and it it, it is truly the biggest mistake of my life oh <laughs> it's like the only reason that facebook account still exists there might be a way to separate them i have not i have not looked i feel the same way i use facebook to sign up for goodreads like yeah 13 years ago and I, I hate it because I never remember. I always go to like sign in with, with uh, email and then it's yeah. not in my one password. And I'm like, was it Google? Yep. Was it Amazon? 
was it Apple? And then I'm like, no, it was Facebook. It was Facebook. I mean, it's for a lot Facebook. of services, you can change it to be logging with an email and a password. Yeah, I should but look into that. But it's much more difficult than it needs to be. And it's one of those things where you're never going to, you know, when you're logging into something, you're not going to be like, well, I have the time to go fix this. It's just like, no, I just I'm trying to get to a specific piece of content or whatever. I just need to get past this login screen. And then you don't think about it again for six months. You know, once it's logged in, it's logged in. So have you converted any of your accounts to passkey? No, I have not. Okay. Ara, have you? I'm trying to remember what passkey is. It's basically a replacement for alphanumeric passwords. So yeah. um, it's part oh, of the FIDO no, I, I don't standard. have any of those. <laughs> it uses your phone essentially and a bunch of hashed numbers to get rid of alphanumeric passwords. And basically your phone in the case of like a regular login would be the second factor in your login. Yeah. Right? So you either yeah. use your phone as to receive a text message or to create a single serving two-factor code. Yeah, right? like an auth account. But with Passkey, the phone itself is the password. So it allows you to basically authenticate yourself with a physical object. And while there are ways to you know, back up that information and you can get around it in a number of ways, it basically says your phone is on you at all times. You are using that physical object as your password. And obviously if you lose your phone and stuff, there are implications there, but in general, it is a really strong replacement for passwords. Most companies, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, have all started supporting Passkey. And 1Password, NPass, Bitwarden, LastPass, they all support Passkey storage now. So it's, it's, it's growing, like most places don't support it yet. But I turned it on on Google, on my personal account, and it works great. Like, it just Wait, it so just you don't works. put your password in anymore? You just no. put it? There's no password. That's... On the one hand, that is very alluring. On the other hand, I also know that with this job, we can switch back and forth between phones frequently. So if the passkey stays on one phone and then I'd have to like migrate it between phones or set it up on multiple phones, that would kind of defeat the purpose of it being, you know, simplified and useful. Granted, this is the first time I've been on a different phone since February. Like I've been on the S23 all year. But at the same time, I'm also somebody who knows that it only takes one bad drop when I'm putting my phone back in my pocket for the screen to be cracked or for it to take a tumble and just completely and utterly be broken. And if that happens, I don't need to be kept out of probably my most important accounts. So it's not the physical phone itself. It's not like a security key. Like It's not the physical phone itself. You basically use the phone to authenticate using a fingerprint, a face, a screen lock, or you can plug in a physical hardware key into the phone. But when you sign up for a pass key, every single phone that you, or every single device that's on your Android, on your Google account can act as a pass key. Okay. It's not a single key. It's not like you have one device and if you lose that device, you're locked out. See, but then I get a little bit concerned because I just have so many phones lying around my apartment. I'm just slightly more paranoid, which is hilarious because the password manager that I use is Google's. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Google has, and every company has mitigation for that. Like, you can disable 
a passkey on one of the devices very quickly. Here's what Google says. When you create a passkey, you opt into a passkey first passwordless sign-in experience. Create passkeys only on personal devices that you control, even if you sign out of your Google account. Once you create a passkey on a device, anyone who can unlock the device can sign back into your Google account with the passkey. So it's two layers. So it's they have to have the phone and they have to be able to log in to your phone with your password or face or fingerprint. I'd look forward to trying it in the future, but right now I'm still waiting. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to, but it, if you think about it, it's an easier method of signing in and it's probably more secure than an alphanumeric password that may get. Oh, I have no doubt that anything is better than an alphanumeric password and a SMS verification code. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk. I mean, it wouldn't be a, a, a month <laughs> out of a Google Pixel launch without some bugs. So, Will, let's talk quickly about these. Yeah. Um, the Pixel Watch 2 isn't charging reliably. The Pixel 8 is getting poor battery life on mobile data. Yeah. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean, it's two things, right? So I'm a little surprised about the watch just because it does have those pins that should make it a little easier for, for you know, charging. I'm not. Be... It's still very easy to misalign pogo pins when you're dealing with something that's like you have four pins and it's a round. Well, yeah, but circle. I'm assuming that these users are not like just misaligning their pins. It is that it is actually just not like even with the pins making contact, it is not charging. And then with the Pixel 8, it's new reports of poor battery life on mobile data and and you know oh it is is that should surprise no one we've had this for the last two years and we have the same modem like i read that headline in the ap title slack channel and the first words that came out of my mouth were i bleeping knew it i have no way to back this up right like a hundred percent no way putting the watch aside for a second although this is part of the broader thing but my thought on specifically every new pixel being like with p- people on Reddit and, and other support forums being like, oh, it's uh data's bad. Data's no good. Is that post pixel six? I think there are so many eyes on this that like it's always going to get attention in a way that like, you know, if the S24, you know, if someone who lives on the edge of a dead zone or or in a in a in a spot with with poor reception compared to, you know, if they lived. 20 miles Give the phone north. to me and I will drive into the Texas <laughs> Hill Country. I will find you your dead zones. I just think there's more attention on Google than other smartphone manufacturers. And I'm not trying to excuse anything. Like, I, the issue is that, like, I think, Daniel, you're in a similar boat, which is, like, not really seeing any issues with the Pixel 7 or Pixel 8 and having to be, like, your mileage may vary. You know, it's tricky to test the stuff without just going out on like a cross country road trip and going to different communities and being like, hey, what's the phone like here? Like I admittedly am on Wi-Fi a majority of the day, but like in my review period and beyond with the Pixel 8 Pro, like when I was on mobile data, my battery didn't drain any faster. I didn't have any major like cell issues. I really think part of it is just there are more eyes on how will a new Pixel perform post Pixel 6 than on other devices? I will agree with that. I mean, I can this agree is, with that. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong about the design yeah. of the Pixel Watch charger. I've been using the Pixel Watch with the OnePlus Open every day for two weeks. It is charged perfectly. I like the magnetic pogo pin based charging, even though I'm upset that this isn't compatible with the Pixel Watch 1. Yeah. I would expect that this will be the charging like if they change this again ever 
And we talked about this. Like, <laughs> if they ever change yeah. this again, I'm going to be real mad. And I think a lot of other people will. That'll be a must listen episode of this podcast, though. <laughs> oh my God. There's going to yeah. be so much swearing. But like with a lot of the Pixel Watch 2 updates, I think they have settled on what works and what doesn't. I would, I would expect next year there might be two sizes. I think the bezels will be smaller, right? They will do things to meaningfully improve the design of this watch, but the overall design I don't think will change much. I don't think the charging pins are going to change again. I don't think they're going to mess with the watch strap design. I mean, I, I hope, like, let's, let's say that. I really hope. But I, I don't think there is inherent, anything inherently wrong with these chargers. And like the same thing with the Pixel 8. Like some Pixel 8 users are reporting poor battery life on mobile data. Like that is a completely subjective. Yeah, that's the problem. Oh, it totally thing. is. Like yeah. that—that's the issue. Like most, I will run into it mostly because I come into contact with these areas more often. But for anybody who lives in an area with great 5G coverage, my hats off to you. But if you live on the fringes of a network, or if you live in a building with a bunch of concrete walls. Yeah, you're going to have more battery drainage from the modem just because the modem's going to have to work and harder. To be clear, like I don't think any of us are giving Google a break here. Like the modems they're using in the Pixel series since switching to Tensor are not as good as Qualcomm. No one's modems are as good as Qualcomm's modems. That's just kind of common knowledge, right? Like there is a reason that Apple re-upped their deal with Qualcomm. They have not cracked their modems yet. And when you buy this phone, you should go into it knowing that the reception you had on your Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 powered S22 might not compare to what you'll see on the Pixel 8. But it's not like with the Pixel 6 where there were like serious issues there. Like it should be relatively similar. So just go in knowing that if your Qualcomm powered smartphone is usually sitting on one bar, like it could be a problem. It it could be like we just don't know your situation. and. Like I said, there's a lot more eyes on Google on this. So that's all. I mean, when I was reviewing the S23 FE, I drove around town for a day with a friend and he had a Pixel 7 Pro. And everywhere we went, we would compare our phones and see how good a signal we had. And yeah, usually it was a matter of either we both had full bars or the Pixel had about two bars less than I did. Sure. Yeah. Even just going by like you have to really read like the actual like data. You can't just even go by what your phone is telling you in terms of bars. Like, oh, yeah. No, it's. Yeah. Anyway, that's all. Yeah. I don't think we have to stay on this. If you are having issues with your Pixel 8 or Pixel Watch 2, like we'd love to hear from you. This is my normal plug. Thank you for sending emails. Please continue to do that. Podcast at AndroidPolice.com. Let's go over everything we talked about here. S23 FE. Are you buying it? Uh, OnePlus Open. What are your thoughts? US versus Google, like, I don't know. What do we think here? Are we are we defending Google? Are we are we not? Um, are you having any issues with the Pixel Watch 2 or Pixel 8? Let's end the show talking about the Nexus 5 at 10, because okay. I think that yeah. is an interesting place to end up. The Nexus 5 is 10 years old this month. I liked this phone a lot, even though it was problematic from day yeah. one. It had a terrible camera. Terrible yeah. camera, just yeah. awful. But it was cheap. It worked well. It it had Android Lollipop. Um, marshmallow. Sorry, Android, no, no, no. So, marshmallow. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I went the wrong nope. way too. I was reading through the thing. One more. KitKat. There we go. KitKat. It started at KitKat. It started at Android sorry, 4.4 I, KitKat. I was scrolling through uh, then Android 5 and it said Marshmallow. marshmallow. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was just like this point in the sand where Google was like, we're going to give you a decent phone for not a lot of money. Yeah. And we're going to make it perform really well. 
and it did. And it was it was a lot of fun to use. It was also very plasticky and very creaky. Yeah, which uh, Manuel says in his piece uh, that that finish did not um, age well. It it apparently no, it is, really is really gross ten years later. I bet. Yeah, I, it's probably got that like rubber. Yeah. What's what's that thing called? Rubber reversion. Yeah. It's uh, it's it probably doesn't doesn't look so good now, but it's also very small. Like when you look at that photo, comparing it to the Pixel Eight Pro. I know it, it's a it, it just looks so baby oh god what I wouldn't give for that to be considered the big a big phone again like it's it's uh come on one small phone that's all I'm asking for one 5.6 inch screen it's not even that small you guys can someone can do it right yeah. and it had I mean Google now which it had Google now uh, uh, good times yeah I mean I remember going to the pre-brief for this phone getting the device, going across the street to a hotel and doing an unboxing because I was so excited about getting this device in my hands. And it was, it just, it was so smooth and performed so well in almost every way until you started taking photos with it. And it was just like, nope, that's, that's not what a photo should look like. That's wrong. But, um, yeah, in other ways, it was just like a, it was it was a monumental device. It was like what three hundred bucks when it came out. Yeah, yeah, it was under four hundred for sure. I can't remember the exact price. It was it was cheap. Yeah, back in the day that when Google released cheap phones. Did you film this unboxing? I I probably did. I mean, if it's, I it's on it. Mobile Syrup, if yeah, you, if you search for Nexus Five review, we'll put it in the show notes. It yeah, December third, twenty thirteen. I think it was three fifty. I want to say. There we go. Found it. Podcast channel and Slack. You're welcome. Three ninety nine. All right. There we go. Anyway, let us know what your thoughts are of the of the Nexus Five. If you had this phone, it uh, <laughs> has it has it aged well in your mind. I will look through this review that I posted and absolutely cringe because everything about it is terrible. But other than that, uh, I think we'll end the show on a high note there. Will Ara, thank you so much. Ara, you are taken off going back home to texas so have a great trip just for Hope a few days it. but yeah nice will how's your weekend looking uh, what am i doing this weekend i gotta find time to see killers of the flowery moon but i don't think that's happening this weekend so we'll we'll see yeah i'd love to see it's, that it's film. very finished the book was the book good it was good it wasn't it i don't think it's much like the movie like the movie okay. is much more narrative driven right this is like a lot of david grand's books that yeah. it, it's more about it's more factual he's a reporter and he just kind of lays it all out very objectively but there were it's just a very gruesome story it made me upset scrunch up my face a lot yeah so it's it's really hard to listen to but or i i listened to the book I rewatched my Criterion uh, collection version of uh, The Irishman because because I, I physically got up and put the disc in even though it's on Netflix. Um, good movie, The Irishman. Feels like it got Amazing. a bad rep at, uh, three, four years ago. Good movie. Rewatch that. Amazing. You haven't? Yeah, 100%. All right, that's it. Thank you so much. Uh, if you've heard anything you want to talk about, as I said, send us an email. Otherwise, uh, thank you for listening and we will talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Hey everybody, it is Daniel here for Mobile Syrup and we are looking at the Nexus 5. This is a heavily, heavily leaked device. Everybody knew it was coming, but it is finally here and it really is a great piece of hardware. It's and last year's Nexus 4, but it's certainly a better machine. So what does it have? Well, it has this five inch, or it's actually 4.9 five inch. Uh, 1080 a little better on the display, a little really, really nice. um, sharper, but it's a it's a lot more reflective, and I think that's due to the glass that LG used as opposed to the Nexus 5, which feels because it's a more band four over HSP plus it supports AWS, and uh, it also has an eight megapixel camera on the back that has optical image stabilization. Nothing, uh, to be so worried about, they feel great, they're well calibrated, and of course there is a micro. Uh, SD micro uh, SIM slot here. There's no SD slot uh, unfortunately. In the display here, you can see that there is still wireless display support, so Miracast is supported, and uh, it's certainly uh, appreciated. There's a new Daydream app, which is in camera hump on the Galaxy S4 that does not exist here. It's a, I mean, it's it's tiny. It's really really negligible. So both of them have a tiny camera hump. The Galaxy S4 is a little bit bigger one. Uh, the Galaxy S4 is not as well as Sony, Motorola or Samsung. So this is uh, the Nexus 5 and it is available now. Go to uh, mobilesyrup.com for more info. Thanks so much for watching.